All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love ride. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm really delighted to have with me after the break again, Dr. Jim Walker. Um, and he is an expert and an economist on, uh, really focused on Asia and I think provides a perspective that we don't generally get from the mainstream media in the United States. Well, Jim, I, when we left, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, about poverty in China, about a rising wealthy class. But before we get to that, I want to ask you, how accurate do you think the economic statistics are that come out of China? Well, uh, Chinese economic data are... Um, are approved by the state council. Uh, mm-hmm. al- almost everything that comes out is, is first of all passed through the politicians. Uh, mm-hmm. So things that they don't like are, are not going to uh, see the light of day. Um, things that cast them in a good light uh, are going to be uh, pretty much the, the stuff that's trumpeted. So mm-hmm. the, the, the data are relatively poor quality. But in, in fairness to China, that, that's a feature of most developing markets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know most developing countries have pretty socialist orientated governments that like this, the numbers to, to tell a good story. Mm-hmm. Well, developing countries and those that are developed, I... I have uh, increasingly less uh, trust in in in, uh, in the United States economic statistics, frankly. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> all right, so we'll we'll take all the economic statistics from China and elsewhere. In my view, anyway, I do with a grain of salt. So, yep. but China does have a surging wealthy class. Are they tied primarily to the to the Communist Party? Yes, this is something that uh, we've, we've published on relatively recently. That the, just the, the 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 growing inequalities in China and just how concentrated those inequalities are in, uh, in the, what we call the elites. Um, the, the elites have been created by the, the Communist Party um, in response to what happened in Europe in the, the, the early 1990s. The, 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 the Chinese Communist Party is intent on not having a Berlin Wall type moment uh, or a collapse in the, the Communist Party a la Russia. Um, and the way that they see that uh, being avoided is to make sure that the middle class or the, the elite in the country, and in this instance it really is an economic elite, uh, is aligned completely with the Communist Party. So how, how better to uh, align it than just to make it the Communist Party? Mm. So you, you really have a, an economy run for 55 million members of the, the Communist Party. The, the people who go to Macau and spend money in the casinos are, uh, by and large, local government officials who uh, have been able to skim off uh, lots of money from 
land sales and taxation. Um, the, the people who own the biggest companies in China are all appointed by the party. Uh, the, the, the party's tentacles go into absolutely every uh, walk of business life. And at the other end, you have around about 50-55% of the population that exists on less than two US dollars a day. Um, at the top end, you're, you're talking about uh, multi-billionaires. Wow. Um, so it would seem to me that Chinese policymakers would be very, very right to be worried about inflation if it brings these the masses of people to the point where they cannot afford to feed their families. They cannot find ways to put food on the table. Yeah, it's a real concern to them. Um, the, 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 there has been food price inflation over the last couple of years. I don't think mm -hmm. it's finished yet mm -hmm. uh, by any means, and it has caused a lot of uh, discontent. Uh, and not just food price inflation, the, 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 the property market is a big issue for, for Chinese people. Chinese people like property, um, not just in China, but the, the Chinese communities outside China put huge faith in the, the, the properties that they own. These are their store of value, almost their gold uh, in our terms. Um, and if that gold price is getting away from them, uh, that property price is getting away from them, then they become quite unhappy quite quickly. So you're getting surveys coming out of the, the PBOC now where 75% of the people surveyed, which presumably means 75% of the population, uh, are very unhappy with property prices where they are because they just can't get onto the ladder. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, uh, it seems to me, I mean, the communists understood that you could destabilize countries and, and political systems with with inflation. Um, <clears throat> and what you're telling me about China, it seems to me that they're well on their way to doing that. Uh, but I'd still like to come back to this whole issue. We've got a global economic uh, malaise, I guess maybe is a polite way of saying it. Europe is obviously, you know, having huge problems with their, their debt system. I, I, somebody in Europe last week said, that they think this is worse than 2008, that where we are now is worse than, than 2008, because at least then there were sovereign nations that could bail out the banks. Now who's going to bail out the sovereigns? And I guess maybe in a way some people think you were saying, some people think China can do it, but you're saying China can't do it. So do you see this as a potential global deflationary depression? Or, And I agree with you. I don't see how we're going to have you know, muddle through soft landing here because there's so much capital put to bad use, malinvestment, yeah. as the Austrians say. There's so much debt, and as I look at the total debt in the United States, it's growing almost exponentially, and income, if it's growing at all, is in a linear fashion. And it just seems to me that something's got to give here. We're either going to see some sort of rampant, it seems to me, global hyperinflation, or some sort of massive deflationary depression that could make the 1930s look like child's play? Is that overstating the problem where we are now, do you think? I, I, I don't think it's overstating. I, I think it's laying out the, the, the two uh, extremes pretty neatly. Um, and, of course, I think we know that the policymakers that are in place would prefer the... Uh, the hyperinflation route. The, the one thing uh, that, that we, we would contend with them is that the, the 1970s wasn't quite hyperinflation in mm -hmm. the, the U.S. and Europe, but it was pretty nasty inflation, and we uh, we, we did eventually get to 20% uh, interest rates in the U.S. to try and put it back in its its bottle um, when when Paul Volcker took over at the Fed. Uh, but the, the, the the whole message from that era was that debt to GDP didn't go down as a ratio. 
during that inflationary episode, everybody talks about inflation destroying debt. Inflation mm-hmm. doesn't destroy debt because what happens is that interest rates have to rise to such a level that they go much higher than uh, the rate of growth of the economy. They they Mm. bring the rate of the growth of the economy down. And at that point, the debt becomes explosive again because the interest rates just compound. Mm -hmm. You don't get rid of debt by inflation. This is just one of the biggest myths in uh, in economics. Mm -hmm. What you do, uh, what you can do is get rid of debt by default. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid that's where we're headed. We're we're headed for defaults on debt, especially Mm -hmm. in Europe. I mean, it really is only a, a, a question of time before uh, Greece defaults, I think, very shortly. Um, it, it's going to be the case for a number of American household owners. In fact, the, the, one of the strangest things I've seen in America in the last three years is this desperate desire to, to, to avoid foreclosure. Um, most people who are in these properties probably want foreclosure. Mm-hmm. to happen because then they can start moving to new jobs in a different state. Mm-hmm. Uh, while they've got a house for nothing, of course, they're going to sit in it um, and, and uh, spin their wheels. Uh, if the, the house is taken away from them, then they're going to move for a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's the way that the, that the system corrects itself. It takes the debt off their shoulders and it gives them uh, mobility again. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that capital being destroyed actually although it's very painful for the the year or two that it takes to clean out the system, Mm -hmm. uh, it then makes the people who are profitable, the people who do use capital effectively, uh, much, much better place to um, mop up what's left, uh, to to start new businesses, to to look at better allocation of capital, and just basically start again. And that's the, the route that we've got to go in both in the U.S., and in Europe, but uh, you have governments and central banks desperately trying to avoid that hard landing solution and instead Mm -hmm. just giving us uh, a total mess. Jim, we saw, uh, according to what I read, because I wasn't around then, I'm not quite that old, but in the 1930s, uh, the Federal Reserve, according to a book that Murray Rothbard wrote on the Great Depression, the Federal Reserve pumped huge amounts of money into the system. The banks were not too willing to lend it, um, but weren't able to lend it. And it seems as though much the same thing is happening now. Uh, do you, so the pushing on the string analogy, or you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink analogy. Yep. Do you, is that happening again? And <clears throat> is there a way, and I had Congressman Ron Paul on this show, he is very much an inflationist. He thinks the government will ultimately put them, you know, just send money out to the masses. Uh, and we'll get to an inflationary environment in the U.S., a, a, a bad one. Um, what are your thoughts? Well, as I say, I, I don't think the inflation actually gets rid of the problem of anything. Mm-hmm. If we look at history, we'll find that uh, the inflations accumulate debt. They don't actually destroy debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that destroys debt, as I say, is default and, uh, and, mm-hmm. and ca- contraction in the capital structure. Um, so I, I'm hopeful that that's the route that the U.S. will take. I'm, I'm much more hopeful about the U.S. than I am about Europe, but that's a, a, a permanent state of affairs for me because I think Americans actually do get it eventually. And I know Americans like yourself who are there just now and uh, are worrying about the direction of the economy, and, and understandably so. The great thing is that there are states in the U.S. that will go in the opposite direction and they'll just clean up as they lower taxes make it easier for businesses to set up and uh, mm-hmm. attract people um, that, that, that others will, will have to then adapt to that uh, changing dynamic of the U.S. Mm-hmm. In Europe, mm-hmm. it's completely sclerotic. 
Uh, yeah, the, yeah, there is that there is that uh, competitive uh, dynamic that goes on between the states uh, that, yeah. that I hadn't thought of as as perhaps uh, one of the ways that we might correct uh, things might be corrected here. Uh, there's so much more to talk to you about, but I know you're, you have to go. Uh, you're a very busy man, and I want to thank you very much for being willing to talk to us uh, at, at these odd hours. Um, and, and there's just so many more things I wanted to talk to you about, but I can't let you go before you talk uh, just briefly, perhaps, about India. I guess your case for India over China is, this, is, is a more realistic cost of capital. That's the main issue there for you, right? Yeah, it really is one of the, 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 the huge differences. We, we see this when we, we look at the uh, from the bottom up at uh, uh, the, the Indian corporate scene. That in India, over the, the, the course of the, the, the last five years in particular, uh, we've seen nominal GDP rising at around about 15% a year, uh, which is pretty phenomenal growth. Um, exactly the same rate of growth as China. The big difference is that the return on equity in India is close to 22%, uh, and the return on equity in China is close to 10%. Mm -hmm. And that, to my mind, really boils down to the, the signal coming from the price of capital, which is in India, use it carefully, use it sparingly, and make sure that the investment returns uh, are worthwhile before you take on debt. And in China, it's quite the opposite. And unfortunately, in the global economy just now, what we have is... Uh, central bankers guaranteeing zero interest rates for the next two years, um, which if the, the corporate and household sector was willing to take on more debt, which they're just not just now, would mean that they would spend it badly. Uh, there would be no reason to, uh, to, to use it as a scarce resource, which of course capital really is over time. Mm -hmm. Plus the signal is that uh, if there's zero interest rates for the next two years, there's no growth coming. And therefore, why would you, uh, in your right mind, expand your company and increase employment? Mm -hmm. This is one of the great lessons of Japan, that uh, with zero interest rates, what the signal sends is uh, it's time for companies to draw in their, their horns, accumulate cash if they can, because bad times are coming. Yeah. Uh, and that's what Mr. Bernanke is telling America. Uh, mm -hmm. I hope that's going to change, but the only way to change it is really to raise interest rates, give people a realistic cost of capital and a realistic view that the future is brighter because as interest rates rise, what it's really saying is that we've got growth and we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're moving ahead. Mm -hmm. India does that really quite well. Mm -hmm. The government doesn't do things very well, but there again, why should we be surprised by that? Well, it's the government, sir are just made of, of people who have political access to grind, but, but also the zero interest discourages savings, so there's no reason to save your money. I mean, it's your, your foolish... Well, uh, th th this is one of the ironies, I think, Jay, that um, <laughs> in a sense that's right, but in another sense, given that old age is still coming on to us and still uh, our kids have got to be put through school and still we've got to plan for, um, for our medical uh, care, so we, we, we usually do that through our savings, but if these guys are giving us zero interest rates, what we've got to do is actually save more mm -hmm. to make sure that we're provisioned for the future because we're getting no compounding uh, from the interest rate. But whereas we could have, um, with 5% interest rates on our deposits or 4% interest rates, we could have saved X amount per year for our old age and for our kids' education, etc. Mm -hmm. Now we have to save X plus. Mm -hmm. because we've got to provide for the whole amount given that there's zero interest rates. 
So zero interest rates doesn't discourage savings. It actually makes it more imperative that you save more in order to provide for the same amount of uh, expenditure in old age, in education, and in health. It's Mm -hmm. ironic, but uh, these guys just don't seem to get it. Well, that's sort of interesting, and I hadn't thought of that perspective before, but certainly if you're not uh, investing and growing your economy, and I guess if if you're not spending, you're saving, so... It's, it's interesting. It's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I mean, I think you're right about that. Uh, you know, you have to leave now, and I've already kept you a couple of minutes beyond your no cutoff time. But, but let me just ask you, please tell our listeners where they can learn more about about your work and Asianomics. And, and there was so much more I wanted to talk to you about what you're doing and what your organization or people related to you are doing. You do provide uh, an excellent service for people, uh, for professional investors, and we have many of them that listen to this show, hedge fund managers and the like. Uh, so could you just tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about Asianomics and, and other things that are related to what you're doing? Yes, sure. I mean, they can Google Asianomics Limited, and uh, it will probably come up with the, the website, which is uh, www.asianom.com, uh, E-S-E-I, a-N-O-M dot com uh, and from that website people will be able to see the, the kind of research that we produce and the kind of approach that we we adopt to produce it um, where we are specifically Asia orientated but uh, let's say we do have the, the, the global overview as well mm-hmm. slightly different from from the mainstream well I appreciate that, that's what this show is all about is uh, you know, you can go to your television and mainstream and get all that stuff over and over and over again. We've been so indoctrinated with it. Uh, with that, this show is about having people like you on with a different, with different ideas and primarily Austrian focus. So I want to thank you very much, Jim, for being with us on Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I appreciate your willingness to talk to our listeners and hope we can have you on again because honestly, I've only got about over about one quarter of the questions I wanted to ask you today. <laughs> So you have, you have so many great great insights. Appreciate it very much. Folks, don't go away. I'll be right back with some thoughts on debt, equity, and precious metals markets. Don't go away. We'll be right back. It's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Romeo's Gold offers unprecedented opportunities in the final frontier of British Columbia's Golden Triangle, a copper-gold-rich region with improving infrastructure. Romeo's properties are located in the vicinity of multi-billion dollar deposits. With its $6 million plus drilling program underway, Romeo's Gold is focused on developing world-class mineral resources in a major upcoming mining district. 
Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at www.rypatchgold.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a lovely ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. human race some kind of love and ride I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down try not to try too hard it's just a lovely ride you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host Jay Taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, Dr. Walker's views on on China. They certainly are, are not uh, the most upbeat. In fact, they were quite bearish, actually, compared to most investors. And I'm here at a conference here, uh, Norvista's first annual conference in Kelowna, uh, British Columbia, beautiful place here. And we've had several speakers talking today. Andrew Bell, for example, at BNN, uh, spoke before I did. And he made the bullish case for China uh, continuing to, uh, uh, to to lead the world in demand for base metals. And there's mining companies up here in this part of the world that are very dependent on China these days. China's continued demand, China's need for energy and 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 key minerals, uh, key uh, metals. And um, uh, and in fact, uh, one of the speakers was the Honorable Brian Tobin here, who. Um, formerly in the Cretchen administration uh, in Canada, and also uh, he was uh, the, the leader of uh, Newfoundland. And uh, he was also involved in, um, in bringing in Chinese money into an iron ore deposit in, uh, in Newfoundland. And, um, and, and so there is a great uh, desire on the part of China to see, uh, to see continued demand coming out of, um, 
uh, of China. Uh, so there's, there's uh, you know, that is really important to the Chinese people. As I've stated in my talk, I'm less bullish on the base metals, more bullish on the precious metals because of my deflationary outlook. We had Dr. Walker on, who is very much an Austrian uh, thinker, an Austrian economist, and so he and I agree to a great extent on, on, on what's going on. Uh, but also I wanted to talk to Chen Lin, my partner, because Chen brings still a different perspective to the table. Chen talks about what is really going on in China as opposed to what some of these hypothetical views might uh, expect is going on in China. Uh, and um, uh, and so uh, I just want to welcome Chen to the show. Chen, uh, welcome. Thank you, Jane. Chen, you, uh, I believe, were listening to some of uh, what Dr. Walker had to say. Um, he definitely uh, believes that China is inclined to inflate. He talked about the M2, the money supply increasing. He said, actually, that it increased even larger than that of the United States would make it the leading economy in the world if you measured it by M2. Well, what's your take on Chinese inflation right now? They have tried to cut it back. They have done some... Uh, uh, you know, some have contracted and, and sort of discouraged lending to a certain extent. What is your view on the Chinese? Are they able now to get some sort of control of this inflationary uh, environment? Yeah, that they are trying. They're trying to calm down inflation. Actually, I listened to uh, Dr. Walker's uh, comments. I agree with, uh, you know, many, if not most of what he said. Uh-huh. Right? That China's M2, I mentioned many times in my newsletter, is astonishing uh, that the Chinese uh, government was able to print pa- the currency, print, print the paper, you know, endless print. You know, the, the M2 is a compounding growth, double digit for 20 years. I mean, it's something very hard to imagine. I even said in my newsletter, if China, when China flow its currency, which we expect in three to um, five years, uh, Chinese currency may depreciate. <laughs> actually, may not really appreciate because there's so much money created in China. Uh, there's so much money printed in China. You cannot imagine uh, how much bank deposit right now. You know, put in the Chinese bank, which has a negative interest rate, and actually is uh, sending money. You know, losing money every day. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting you say that, uh, Chen. Negative interest rates, by that you mean the interest rates less the, defla- less the inflation means that you are getting less than zero uh, in real terms for your money, right? Yeah, exactly. So and, also I want to point out, I think we discussed a little bit just before we came out of the break, mm-hmm. uh, historically China never goes to deflation, always inflate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every hundred years throughout the Chinese history, every hundred year or two, you have a huge inflation. You have a hyperinflation. Uh, part of the reason is uh, really Chinese culture. Okay, Chinese like say to save. Okay, the saving rate is very high in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you deflate, you know, think about that. All oh, the people with saving actually has more power. So mm-hmm. actually, so every time, you know, in the history of China, you know, for thousands of years. The government tend to go the other direction. They always inflate. Uh-huh. So you inflate, actually, that will um, uh, reduce the value of your saving. That's how they take money from the masses. <laughs> that's, uh, that's always end like that. So, you know, from Chinese standpoint of view, it's hard to uh, to see deflation coming. We more so that's a more that's why I'm more inflationist than deflationist. That's really interesting, Chen. The fact that the Chinese people. Are, their propensity is to save. They want to save for a rainy day, I guess. They want to save for hard times. 
uh, and that saving then is there's sort of the government is battling them to spend more. They want the they want people to spend more, but they won't. So the government cheapens the currency uh, in that way, sort of redistributes wealth from the savers to to other parts of the economy. I guess right. Yeah, so, so always end up. You know, China end up has a Weimar style like uh, inflation. Uh, Weimar Republic starting in the 1940s. That's that's a lot of people remember. Everybody at the end was a millionaire. You know, it take a million dollar to to buy a toilet paper or something like that. It happened yeah. in China. <clears throat> that has happened in China in the past. The Chinese people have this recollection in their memory. How long ago, Chen, did that sort of hyperinflation take place in China? That was 1940s, so it's now uh, 70 years ago. Maybe, maybe my parents probably had some memory of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's probably most of my grandparents. So it, it happened. So and also Chinese uh, believe in hard currency. Uh, gold and silver was the currency in China. Okay, was currency for thousands of years. Yes. So uh, people, because that's the only way to combat inflation. Yeah, so the people, the Chinese people then would try to turn their paper money into gold and silver, but as I understand in discussing with you in the past, there have been some problems. The Chinese government then would try to fight that propensity to save with real money. Uh, What sort of actions did the Chinese government take in the past to try to fight this inclination to save in real money? Well, there was time like uh, they, 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 you know, they forbid people using gold and silver to trade. You know, that's mm-hmm. a few hundred years ago. They tried that, but the government papers soon lose the credibility, so people go back to gold and silver again. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, um, I think, a famous one was the 1940s in Shanghai. They basically asked forced people to exchange uh, gold to uh, to paper, so almost forced, you know, forcing. So. Uh-huh. That, that happened, and you know, and then people kind of knows, you know, people can understand. So that's why I feel like uh, um, China, you know, people were related to gold and silver, and uh, it's uh, the China's, you know, tendency. You know, China already doubled its gold reserve. Uh, I think they probably going to increase the many, many fold in the next few years. So you believe that? You, you believe that the Chinese people are going to take their savings and turn it into gold? And the Chinese government has actually encouraged that, have they not? I think they encourage, discourage. I don't know the government stand on that, frankly, because they're, you know, I saw some advertisement, but they could could be some company behind that. It's hard to say. Uh, but, you know, it's just the culture thing to, to keep some gold and silver. So... So I think that's the thing. And also Chinese central bank is under a lot of pressure to increase their gold reserve, which I see will be coming uh, very soon. Where is that pressure coming from, Chen? Mostly from people, okay? So, you know, just say, you know, you look at the Indian, they, they bought the, um, the um, uh, IMF gold, right? Mm-hmm. They, they bought half of it. People thought China will, bought, will buy it, would have bought the other half, but China didn't. And then Indian bought at a very good price, I think 1100 something like that. So China missed some opportunities, and then they're sitting on this $3 trillion reserve and doing nothing, and the paper is losing money because negative interest rate everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's time. Time has come, you know, to, for them to, to diversify, especially into gold. What do you think of Dr. Walker's view that, um, that the negative interest rates are going to lead to big problems in the Chinese economy? 
Oh yeah, they already have a lot of problems. Okay, <coughs> I agree. That's why I agree with most that he said. There's a lot of problems. I, I I thought that he would say that those are recent Ponzi scheme. You know, there was a Ponzi scheme in China. Um, people just uh, putting you know money and instead of negative interest rate, they just uh, lend out for ten percent a month, something like that. And then the other person lend out for fifteen percent, twelve, fifteen percent, and so on and so forth. At the end, you know, the people on top just take the money and run. It happened in China, uh, create a lot of chaos. Uh, there will be a lot of problems. Yeah, there are a lot of problems with the negative interest rate. But what can government do? And they printed so much. Yeah, and it's interesting because it seems to be very reminiscent of what I read and hear about the 1930s in which governments were trying to cheapen their own currency um, to get uh, to get trade advantages. And China still is very much in part, I guess, because of this inclination to save and not to consume on the part of the Chinese people. China is very dependent still on exports in the world, and so I guess there is a a keen battle or a desire to gain some advantage, or at least not a disadvantage, because everybody seems to be cheapening their currencies these days by printing more and more money. Do you see that happening in China? Is that part of what's stimulating what's causing China to continue to uh, print more money? Um, yeah, it's um, China print money. Well, part of it, China has a currency peg or you know semi peg with the United States dollar. So uh, now they you know they dealing that, uh, but every time you know China has run the surplus, they have to exchange for dollars. So that's where all the surpluses came from. So at the end, they they have they flood and sell with all the hot money in Chinese yuan. That's part of it, and also another part is just. Um, uh, I would say just internal, all these uh, growth, okay, all these demand money. So the government just by supplying money to them. Uh, it just, you know, it, it, there's a huge amount of money uh, in, in China. And they were, people were calculating, you know, that's uh, uh, how much money was increasing, how much money you are being diluted every year. It's a, it's a very, very uh, astronomical number. Mm-hmm. So, but being said all these, okay, uh, I saw all the problems. Uh, I, I agree with Dr. Worker with most of he was saying, but my point is I don't have, so far haven't seen the imminent crash, the hard landing. That's the hard landing part. I agree there will be some problem, but I haven't seen at least I haven't seen it will coming very soon. Okay, in the near term because they still the economy has still have a lot of momentum behind it, especially the the people has. Uh, uh, a lot of still have a lot of confidence in the government. Okay, so uh, because you know China grown so much in the past 30 years, it, it, it's a phenomenal change. So people still have this kind of look at back 30 years ago. We have a much better life. So they still have uh, the confidence in that. You know, to, to in, order, in order to get really into the crisis mode, hard landing, they probably need to take. Some psychological shift of the people's confidence first. Uh-huh. It may take a couple of years. I, I just, I mean, right now I don't see it coming. You don't see it. And then clearly uh, you've demonstrated your ability to change, shift gears, and get in and out of different investments when you see things happening. So I think it's very wise uh, for investors uh, to not to bet on their emotions or their theories. Uh, necessarily, but to keep uh, to keep abreast of what is really going on. And Chen, I think that is one of the values that you bring to your subscribers, and one of the reasons you're successful with your investing is that you have a sense of what is really going on. China is such an important part of the global economy these days, 
that your insights and your connections in China is very, very important. Well, Dr. Walker talked about, you know, he says there's either going to be no landing or a hard landing. And I guess um, <clears throat> his theory is that, uh, you know, they keep printing money, keep pumping up the system, uh, and we head into more trouble down the road. Or uh, there will be, you know, if they tighten too much, there will be a hard landing. Now, you, you believe, if I understand you correctly, that in fact China is more likely to err on the side of more inflation. In other words, they're going to make sure that if the airplane lands, it lands, um, it lands smoothly, or 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 else it's going to be up and onwards with more inflation. Is that right? Yeah, that it, it's pretty hard to say. I mean, I, I don't know if it's a, it's a down conclusion that China will have a hard landing. China had a soft landing, I think, in the early 90s. At that time, China was having a pretty hard time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with a very high inflation, I think 20% inflation. Right now, actually, it's much less. Um, the, the, you know, the old premier, actually, he engineered the soft landing. But, you know, the, it, it, I, th- I think it's just the jury's still out. I mean, I, I don't think it's conclusive that, uh, you know, I, I don't think I want to make a conclusion that China's going to have a hard landing right now. Okay, mm-hmm. let's put it this way. Well, uh, Chen, at this conference I've been at, uh, there's uh, Andrew Bell was a speaker before I spoke, and Andrew talked about uh, the case for China continuing to lead the world in demand, and and um, you know the Canadians here, and um, you know the Canadian Canadian mining industry is very dependent uh, on on continued demand from the rest of the world, China being the leader. Um, would you would you vote in favor of Andrew's view that we are going to continue to see China leading this demand and pulling demand around the world and looking for major deposits of iron ore or what have you, energy, uh, precious metals, base metals, and so forth? Do you see China continuing to look to use its vast resources and savings uh, to go out and buy precious metals or to buy resources? that it's going to be able to use in the long run? Is this a theme that we can expect China to continue to, uh, uh, a policy that China will continue to uh, uh, to implement? And we have about one minute before commercial break, if you could just give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think um, it's pretty, it's hard. I don't think you can bet on that. <laughs> I wouldn't bet on that. Uh, the, uh, the China growth clearly it's a slowing down okay that there's no question about that mm-hmm. uh, there are some areas start to show some sign of trouble okay like in the big city the housing market start to turn turn around but around the other cities countries are still doing it's still booming uh, so it, it's hard to to say that china will lead the world but i think china right now is more focused on just reduce inflation to keep the society intact i think that that's pretty much there okay right now. Okay, thank you, Chen. Stick with, if you can stay with us on the other side of the break, I'd like to ask you some questions about a couple of your favorite stock picks. Uh, so, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back. Uh, I didn't wait for Chen's answer. He's going to be with us on the other side of the commercial break. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. 
Legend Gold Corp. is a gold exploration company with flagship projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our two gold deposits. Shareholder value is anchored at Chukamala by a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold. The recent addition of the Munina project offers the potential for a third gold strike. Legend Gold trades under the symbol LGN on the TSX Venture Exchange. Please go to our website at www. Legendgold.com. Merrick's Gold, with over 800 square kilometers of contiguous permits in West Mali, Africa. Merrick's and exploration partner IM Gold have spent $16 million on the advanced stage Surabaya Gold Project in Mali. 40,000 meters of diamond and reverse circulation drilling currently underway to expand Merrick's indicated resource and to determine the true size of the Surabaya Gold deposit. Exploration also continues on the huge gold anomaly at Zone Bambadinka, as well as the major gold system on the Babara and Kofia permits. Northwest Quebec is one of the world's friendliest and most prolific areas for mining and exploration. One of the rising stars in this incredible region is Visible Gold Mines. From the exciting Wasamac area to Jutel, Visible Gold Mines is drilling nonstop in pursuit of the next important gold discovery in Northwest Quebec. Visible Gold Mines has the focus, experience, commitment, and resources necessary to rapidly emerge as a leader in the vibrant Quebec gold sector. Check out VisibleGoldMines.com, VGD, on the TSX Venture Exchange. Rypatch Gold Corp. is an exploration company seeking to build a sizable inventory of gold and silver resource assets in mining-friendly Nevada, the world's fourth richest gold region. This well-funded company now has 1.2 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the measured and indicated category, plus 2.7 million ounces of gold and gold equivalent in the inferred category, with ongoing drilling to achieve a goal of 10 million ounces of gold. For more info on RPM, please visit our website at W www.rypatchgold.com Voice America Business Network The bottom line in business Welcome to the human race Some kind of love and I'll be sliding down I'll be gliding down Try not to try to it's just a ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and we have Chen Lin with us for the closing moments of today's show. Uh, Chen, we were talking at the break. Um, I'd just like to just momentarily perhaps uh, mention this, that you were saying China is printing money almost more rapidly than anyone else, any other country, uh, and yet its currency has been going up, um, and it doesn't make any sense. Do you have any answer for that? Oh, that's what I'm wondering. They are printing so much money. Yeah. Uh, money supply is increasing like every month. Okay. Yeah. So you, you would expect if they're printing faster than everyone else, my answer to that, in, in theory at least, is that the Chinese are more productive than anyone else. They're producing world's goods that the rest of the world wants at a price. In spite of the uh, appreciating currency, are still able to produce 
goods uh, that the rest of the world wants more than anybody else is able to produce. Does that make sense to you? Possible. I mean, but right now the, the cost has been growing up a lot. I saw a lot of bankruptcy of those uh, exporting companies. No, really. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, a lot of uh, because of the currency and then the labor cost increase. And these companies go bankrupt. Bankrupt, Chen. Are they bailed out in any way? No. And what happened when the bankrupt the, the company owner just ran away? <laughs> they run okay, out, so out, then, out of country. Oh, they, yeah. The, 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 do they go through the court system through a bankruptcy proceeding like we do in the United States? No, no, no. It's just like the owner. One day the worker come to work and then find the, the owner already gone. <laughs> he's, the he's owner takes off. Somewhere. Uh, there's a padlock on the on the gate, and people can't get in to do their work, and they lose their jobs, and the owner takes off and gets lost. Yeah, and nobody goes after him. Usually, they own some salary to to the people, and then people go protest. Then the government they raise, doesn't and they raise hell, and the and the and the owner takes off. Does the government go after him then? They try to find them. Sometimes they couldn't find it. Most of the time they couldn't find it. I mean, usually the, the, the day before, they already put all the valuables away. They, they, well, one funny thing was recently they gave everybody a, a reward to go travel, to go vacation. They gave a free vacation. When the workers came back from vacation, <laughs> the factory, everything are gone. Oh, my God. Their oh. salary, everything. Oh, my goodness. What a... What a what a disruptive thing that would be to someone's life. Well, we only have a couple of minutes here yet, Chen. I'm not sure, four or five minutes perhaps, but I want to go to the practical side of all this uh, stuff we talk about on this show and just talk about a couple of your favorite stocks again. Mart Resources, which is one that I have invested in as well and have recommended in my newsletter. I see it as up um, percentage-wise pretty big today. It, uh, up six and a half cents last I looked at about 49 cents. What's what is going on with Mart, and, and what is your sense of what this stock is really worth? Oh, probably worth a lot more. Uh, I think the, there was a research report by Union. Uh, recently, they say they're trading at 0 0.8 or something yeah. times earning of next year, something like that. It just their uh, their production, you know, their earning power is just phenomenal. Yeah, and then all, all these things is going from organic, uh, you know, growth because yes, they're not having to issue more shares to raise capital, right? right? That's the thing. That's the thing I like. And look at their record. Every well was a good well. Every well they're hitting about ten thousand barrel. Every well, you know, I mean, people in Balkan, in the United States, were more than happy to have a thousand barrel per day. And then yeah. their well doesn't decline. Their well two years running, no decline. You know, in wow. Balkan, they did decline in a month or two. You know, and so it's it, it just a phenomenal. And then they have they trading up. They did all you they got is Brent inside WTI. So it's yeah, so it's a premium, very low, a premium product. What do you figure they're selling at in terms of next year's uh, cash flow, Chen? Yeah, below one. <laughs> just like below one time. Below one time. And that's one of the reasons, I guess, that you're so bullish on it. And your view also, of course, one of the risks here is their ability to uh, get pipeline capacity so they can sell more oil, right? Right. There was a problem with uh, the owner of the um, it's an Italian uh, pipeline uh, company. They, they cut their quota to half to what they're supposed to get. 
but you know, fifty-five、uh, percent is owned by Nigeria government. So、mm-hmm. you know, I think just the Italians, the majors. I mean, they can to, to squeeze on that so much, right?、Mm-hmm. And then plus, they're going to build their own pipeline in a year or two. Mm-hmm. Once they to put their own pipeline, they can flow as much as they want. You know, it's all yours there. All you already discovered. There's no discovery and risk. Yeah, it's it's just a matter of getting it to market. Are they able to finance that pipeline themselves, or do they need to get a loan? Would they would be financing? I imagine with with some debt. Right, the pipeline over there is a bank financeable.、Uh, you know, they basically need to put on like a twenty percent or something. But with their cash flow, they have no problem. I don't see any problem. Of them building the, you know, building the pipeline. Yeah, interesting. Well, that's interesting. Okay, turning to a gold stock that I know is one of your favorites is Oceana Gold. That's also up nicely today.、Um, my goodness, are they saying I only have 30 seconds? I'm not sure,、um, but、um, I guess that's what they're telling me.、Um, Chen, I guess we're going to have to let it go at that.、Um, let me just ask. Okay.、Uh, I guess we're going to have to let it go at that, Chen. We'll have to have you back next week and talk about Oceana Gold and Pritium and some of those others, your favorites,、um, folks. That's all the time we have for today.、Uh, don't、uh, want you to return. Make sure that you return next week because we're going to have a very interesting guest. He's been with us before, Florian Siegfried.、Uh, he is a money manager from Switzerland, and he believes, as I do, that we are facing a major. Deflationary force, or at least a credit contraction force in the global economy, that's bound to have some impact on on all the things that Chen and I was talking about. Uh, uh, Dr. Walker and I、uh, were talking about earlier today, and it's bound to have an impact on your investments and mine. So this is very important. I hope you'll come back with me next week、uh, to hear、uh, from Florian Siegfried, money manager out of Switzerland. Don't.、Uh, in closing, I want to thank each,、uh, thank our staff,、uh, Voice America. Uh, starting with my executive producer Chasey Trump, Justin Jackman, my engineer. Those folks make this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening, making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks to our sponsors for making this、uh, economically viable. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel.